We started a series last Sunday. Um, I don't know how long we're going to be here, and I don't think I'm going to go verse by verse. I'm probably just going to focus on some of the, the main stories about Abraham's life. But Abraham feels a big, he, 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 he has a big footprint in the Word of God. Um, and he has a big footprint in the world. Over half of the world, um, over half of the, the planet's population um, elevates Abraham, reveres Abraham, looks to him in high esteem. Um, the Jews look to him as their, as their biological father, the father of the Jewish nation, um, through Isaac, the promised son. Muslims look at Abraham as their biological father through Ishmael, and that's, there's a huge disconnect between Jews and Muslims for that reason and their beliefs about which one was the promised son. Um, Christians revere Abraham because the Bible tells us that he is the father of the faithful and that all who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are children of Abraham. And we're not a Jew because we're a Jew by birth. We're a Jew because we're a Jew by faith. Um, we have placed our faith in God as Abraham has. Romans chapter 4 verse 3 uh, says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So we've got the first man that the Bible specifically says was not, uh, no man was ever saved by keeping the law because no man ever kept the law. Um, but the Bible tells us that Abraham was counted righteous. He lived before the law was written on stone. Um, but he was counted righteous simply because he believed God and God imputed that to him for righteousness. And he, was, he is the model then of faith um, that results in the grace of God being bestowed upon our lives and saving us or declaring us to be uh, righteous. So his life, is a, uh, his life of faith is a model and an example um, that every Christian um, can study and follow. Last week we talked about, and, this, and, and last week was kind of the foundational lesson, but you can say this about Abraham's life and you ought to be able to say this about every Christian's life because the New Testament tells us this is a life that we're supposed to live and that is that he walked by faith, not by sight. Um, he walked according to what he heard God say. Um, he believed what God had to say. He moved in accordance with what God had to say. And God blessed his life. And God said, if you, as long as you do that, Abraham, um, I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to show you some things that you never dreamed of. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the earth. And, uh, and Abraham did that. And that's how we live our life. We hear God's word. We believe it. We obey it. And then we become a worshiper and an influencer of others. That's how Abraham lived his life. Today's text follows up last week, and it, um, it's kind of a low point in Abraham's life. Um, but you know that we can, learn, we can learn as much from bad examples sometimes as we can from good examples. We can see the error that other people made and decide we're not going to do that. We can, we can, we, you, can take a, you can take a bad example, or you can take a bad experience in your own life, and sometimes learn more from the bad experience than you do um, from the good experiences. But here's what I love about the Word of God. It doesn't sugarcoat its heroes. It, it shows us the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and, and, and nearly every, there are very few Bible characters um, that nothing negative is shown to us about our life. I can think of a couple. Daniel um, I don't know that there's anything that's, that's ever said negatively about Daniel, but that doesn't mean Daniel was perfect. It just means the Bible didn't record for us where his failures were. But most of the, most of the characters in the Bible that, that we hold in high esteem also had some very low places in their life. And I like the fact that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat its heroes because 
Their walk of faith was always a work in progress, and our walk of faith is always a work in progress. I don't do it perfectly. You don't do it perfectly. None of us have. None of us will. Um, but it is a work in progress, and we ought to be, uh, every day of our life, we ought to be growing closer and growing stronger in our relationship um, with the Lord. This is just an interesting side note before we read it, because I want you to look in, I want you to kind of consider this as we go. Abraham's about to go down into Egypt. And what he experienced in Egypt is almost a prophetic picture of what his family would experience many, many years later for over 400 years. And God told them at that time, he told Abraham um, that, his, that, his, um, that his descendants would be led into Egypt and that they would be in bondage there for 400 years and then he would bring them out of that. But Abraham's journey down into Egypt, there's a lot of similarities in that and Israel's journey into Egypt. Um, first, it, it, was it was predicated by a famine. The famine is what took Abraham down into Egypt. The famine is what took Joseph's family, um, Jacob, uh, Jacob and his sons, down into Egypt. There was a threat of killing um, the male children in Egypt and Ab Abraham, when he went in, was afraid of, of being killed himself uh, and his wife being saved. Um, the plagues came upon the Egyptians in, uh, in Moses' day and the plagues came upon the Egyptians here in Abraham's descent. Um, there was a spoiling um, in that uh, the Israelites took things that belonged to the Egyptians, was actually given to them. Uh, Abraham was given gifts from the Egyptians and then there was a great deliverance. Offered to him. So all those are similarities as you read that might jump out um, to you. Just kind of a prophetic picture of what was ahead for the nation. But let's pick it up in verse 10. Read through the end of the chapter. And then we're going to cover the first few verses of chapter 13 in a few minutes. The Bible says in verse 10 of Genesis chapter 12 that there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maidservants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done to me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister, so I might have taken her to me to wife? Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Let me, just, let me just make a comment about Egypt first. Egypt is a picture of the world or the flesh in the Bible. If you remember, after, right after, not too long after God had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, you remember that they looked back on Egypt fondly and said, we remember when we were there 
we had all this good food. And now you've brought us out here in the wilderness to die, or you've brought us out here in the wilderness to feed us this bread um, uh, from heaven, this manna. And they were weary of it and looking back to Egypt and the flesh pots of Egypt and longing for those things. And, and you'll, find, you'll find several places. I'm not going to take the time to go through them. But that Egypt is a picture and type of the world. Now listen to me. When you became a follower of Christ, when you do like Abraham did and you, and you, and you repent and you, walk, you begin to walk according to the will of God and the way of God, you hear, you believe, you obey what he said, there's always going to be a world that's calling you back to itself. Um, your flesh is always going to be contending with your spiritual man, enticing you to go back to something um, that at one point you had walked away from. So the world and the flesh is always trying to draw us away. The longing of the flesh, even in the heart of a Christian, the longing of the flesh still lives and still vies for dominance over the spirit that lives in us. Um, that's a battle that we'll face all of our life. It's a battle that Abraham was facing very, very early, it appears, in his journey of faith with God. But know this, the promised land is where God wants us to live. And when you see the promised land in the Old Testament, that is a picture of an abundant life in the New Testament, an abundant and victorious life in the New Testament. That's the life that Christ wants to give us. That's the life that he wants us to live in. But the world and the flesh is always going to be calling us back, trying to trying to entice us with something that we may um, feel or, or see or believe is better for a season. If you're going to stay where God wants you, if you're going to be in the land of promise, if you're going to be victorious and if you're going to be abundant, it's always going to require that you have faith in what God said and that you exercise obedience in what God said. Now, I want you to hear this. I'm, I'm going to jump off in this text. But if you want to stay where God wants you to stay. If you want to be inside the will of God at all times and experience victory and abundance, you got to keep believing what He said and keep obeying what He said. And be careful that you don't listen to your flesh and let your flesh entice you to believe that there's something better for you um, than to be where God wants you to be. Now, there's no evidence whatsoever in this text or anywhere else in the Bible that Abraham asked God what he was supposed to do about the famine. There was a famine in Canaan. That's where he was at. That's where he was living. That's where God told him to go. That's where God said, I'm going to show you some things there. I'm going to give you some things there. I'm going to make you some things there. Canaan was where he was supposed to live. When the famine came into Canaan, he said, I'm going down to Egypt because they've got food to eat. Same reason his... his um, his ancestors, his descendants would go down into Egypt later on. There's no evidence that Abraham asked God about where he's supposed to go. There's also no evidence that God directed Abraham to go to Egypt. So, I want to talk to you this morning about what happens when faith falters. Because I believe Abraham's faith was faltering. Um, he was not hearing from God. Um, he was not believing God. He was not obeying God, and his journey took him away from the will of God and down into Egypt. When faith falters, your flesh will take over, and your flesh will become your God. When your faith gets weak, when your faith falters, when your faith wavers in any way, your flesh is going to take over your life, and it's going to lead you to some places you ought not to go. And so you see in this text that spiritual Abraham, those verses right ahead of that, he was very spiritual. He was building altars. He was worshiping. He was seeking God. 
Um, and then right following them, spiritual Abraham becomes fleshly Abraham, and he started depending on what he saw rather than what God said. And so listen to me. And when you, The Bible says this, um, that our faith is going to be tested. Just because you become a Christian don't, don't mean your life will always be a bed of roses, peaches and cream from there on out. Our faith will be tested. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can count it joy when we fall into those temptations because through those trials and through those temptations, uh, God is perfecting our faith. But when trials test our faith, it tempts us to take matters into our own hands rather than trust God. I think it's telling that the Bible said he went down into Egypt. When, when Jonah started running from the will of God for his life, the Bible said he went down into a ship and went down to Tarshish. Listen, anytime you start, you, anytime you stop trusting God and start trusting your flesh, you're going to go in a downward spiral away from the will of God. Um, Abraham um, yielded to that temptation, began to trust what he saw more than what God said, uh, and he went down into Egypt. If we yield to that temptation... If we, get, if we find ourselves in a trial of our faith and we decide it's better for me right now to trust my flesh than to trust what God said, it's better for me now to trust what I can see than to trust what God said, if we yield to that temptation to take matters into our own hands, it will always lead us away from God's promise, away from God's provision, and it will give us more problems than we had before we went down uh, into Egypt. You hear what I'm saying? You cannot let your flesh guide you. You have to walk according to your spirit. You have to hear what God said, believe what God said, even if it doesn't make any sense at the time. Believe what God said. You realize that most of this Bible is full of stories where people did things that did not make any sense when God said it, and they did it anyway? Noah built an ark on a planet that had never seen rain because God said he'd destroy the earth. Story after story, Elijah, when, when, they were, when they were in a drought so bad that they were, they were eating donkey heads and doves dung because nothing would grow, Elijah said, pour out 12 barrels of water on this sacrifice and watch the fire of God fall. All through the Bible, you see people doing things that didn't make any reasonable, rational sense, but they believed what God said uh, and they did it. When our faith falters, our flesh will always try to step up and take over. And when we do that, when we begin to walk according to our flesh, instead of according to what he said, we're going to step outside of God's provision, we're going to step outside of God's pro uh, promises, and we're going we're to heap upon ourselves more problems than we had when the trial itself began. I will tell you this morning, it's better for you to be in a difficult place and live in Canaan than it is for you to run to a comfortable place in Egypt. It's better for you to live in a difficult place in Canaan, the promised land, than it is for you to chase after your flesh and run down into Egypt and try to solve your own problems. The Spirit is always superior to the flesh. The Spirit is guided by God, by His Word. We have that connection with God through the Spirit. The Bible says, in fact, that if you will walk according to the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians tells us that there's a constant battle going on about who's going to dominate in our life. And we need to let the Spirit of God dominate our thinking, dominate our believing, and dominate our doing. Uh, and I'm going to say this, and we're going to move on. 
Faith doesn't have to feel right to be right. You hear me? It don't have to feel right to be right. You can always trust what God says more than you can trust what you feel. Now see, I feel like that's important. I believe that's important. I know that's important because I hear folks say things all the time. I'm, I, my gut's telling me. My, 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 and a lot of times it's like, that ain't what God said. You're running on what you see. You're running on what you feel. And it can take you so far outside of the will of God, you'll create more problems than you ever thought you had living through that trial in Canaan. When the flesh falters, or when, when faith falters, the flesh will take over and begin to guide us. When faith falters, fear will reign in our life. You understand that before Abraham even got to Egypt, he's already afraid of what he's going to face there. I mean, the Bible, before he even entered in, when he was come near to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, when they see you and how beautiful you are, they're going to kill me to take you. Fear was already creeping into Abram's heart and his mind. He's already considering what this is going to cost him. He's already thinking about the potential cost of stepping outside of Canaan and going down into Egypt. It could cost him his life. It could cost him his wife. And, and, and knowing, that, knowing that, you could say it, it could cost him the promises that God made him. The only proper fear for a believer to have is a healthy fear of God. Do y'all know what a fear of God does for you? If you've got a healthy fear of God, if you, if you, if you, if you have a, not, a, not a terror, he's not looking to destroy us, he's saving us every day of our life. But if we have a healthy sense of the fear of God, um, it, it gives us a sense of reservation about stepping outside of his will. If we know that God is good, and we know that His Word is good, and we believe that He is for us, not against us. Having a healthy sense of fear will make us caution. It'll make us take caution. It'll make us have reservations about stepping outside of what He said. That's what the fear of the Lord does. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, I believe it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It is when we fear God, a healthy fear of God, uh, it makes us pursue His will. It makes us pursue His wisdom. It makes us um, pursue the direction that He would have for our life. It pushes us to hear, believe, and heed what He said. Other than that, fear is a negative emotion um, that only wants to rob us of our joy, only wants to rob us of our peace, only wants to gain power over us and, 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 and lead us in directions um, that we shouldn't go. That's what fear does. And the Bible said God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. So now, Abraham's faith is faltering, and fear has crept in, and making him think and uh, think some very irrational things. Leading him further and further away from the will of God in his life. When faith falters, the flesh guides, fear reigns, and falsehood flourishes, or falsity flourishes. Abraham is being guided by his flesh. God didn't tell him to go there. He's being overcome by fear. And now he resorts to lying. Now this is Father Abraham. 
This is faithful Abraham. This is the, the Abraham that the Bible says believed God and was declared righteous because of it. Now he's lying. Actually, there's a little bit of truth in what he said. There's a half-truth in what he said, I should say. Because Sarah was his half-sister. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, when this same kind of event is occurring again, by the way, except this time it's Abimelech, and, 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 and Abraham is essentially trying to justify his lie and said, she is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, not the daughter of my mother, but she's also my wife. So technically, he's telling a half-truth. I said it's Wednesday night. Y'all know a half-truth is a whole lie. It is. A half-truth is a whole lie. You just can't. It's either the truth or it's not the truth. It's either, a, it's either the truth or it's a lie. And Abraham told a lie. And he, we, he knew that he told a lie because he said, I don't want them to know that you're my wife because if they know that you're my wife, uh, they're going to kill me in order to take you. Well, it's, it backfired on him. Now, he was thinking about all the Egyptians. And it was true that in that culture, if an Egyptian man saw a foreigner coming to his land who had a wife, that guy could kill um, that woman's husband and take her. They looked at wives as property, as possessions and and, um, and so Abraham, had, he had a, the fear that he had there was real because he was going outside the will of God and he was opening himself up to some problems um, in Egypt. But the plan backfired on him. And this, Pharaoh did not need to kill him to take his wife. Pharaoh was in charge and Pharaoh got whatever Pharaoh wanted. But what Abraham essentially did was gave permission for Pharaoh to take his wife when he declared her to be a sister. Now, think with me for a minute. What did God promise to Abraham and Sarah? That he was going to make of them a great nation, that he was going to bless them and give them seed, and that they would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So the promise that was made to Abraham was made to Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham's worried about getting killed down there in Egypt. If he, had, if he just believed God's promise, he would have never resorted to lying. If he'd believed God's promise, God already promised him children. How many of y'all know the promises of God are yes and amen? <laughs> he'd already promised him children. If he'd just believed God's promise, he'd never had resorted to the line, and, and, and uh, you can't have children when you're dead. God already promised him that he'd become a great nation. God already promised him a heritage. He'd already promised him that in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. But yet he's let his faith falter. He's walking in his flesh. He's fearing man more than he's fearing God. And now he's resorted to deception to try to get himself out of the fix that he's in. It's a character flaw. How many times you ever got, got in a bind and you resorted to something that you knew wasn't right? Y'all listen to me. I, I've been guilty of lying, and if you say you ain't never been guilty of lying, you've just told one. You hear me? Because we've all, we've all dealt deceptively before. And usually when we deal deceptively, it's because it's, it's we're trying to get out of some trouble. It's because it's we're trying to get out of a predicament that we put ourselves in. And you know what usually happens when we get in those predicaments? We dig our hole deeper. We don't fix anything. We, I, you know what I found the best thing for me to do when I know that I've told a lie or I know that I've done wrong? 
from when I was living at home for my mom and daddy or when I've been pastoring this church or when um, anything that I've ever done, the best thing I can do when I've done wrong and I know that I've done wrong is say that I've done wrong and not try to justify it, not try to escape it, just admit it, confess it, repent of it, and walk away from it. Because when you start trying to fix it yourself, you'll dig your hole deeper. Abraham had a propensity to try to dig himself out of the situations that he put himself in. And um, it's a character flaw. He did it again in Genesis chapter 20 with Abimelech. Um, Isaac, his son, did it in Genesis chapter 26, verse 7. The same kind of lie. Don't tell them you're my wife, they'll kill me. Tell them you're my sister. Same kind of situation, Isaac. When Jacob came along, you know what, you know what Jacob, his name literally meant deceiver. Because Jacob lived his life. He deceived his brother out of his birthright. Him and his mom conspired to get together with each other. Jacob had those 12 sons, and, uh, and at least 10 of those sons um, deceived their father and told them that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal when in fact they'd sold him into slavery. You understand that what Abraham did there in getting himself in trouble and perpetuating a lie, uh, it, it presented a character flaw in his life that he just kept handing that thing down. He handed it down, he handed it down, he handed it down. His children became good at that same kind of deception. When our faith falters, failure ensues. Abraham was rewarded by Pharaoh. Pharaoh started giving him. The Bible said he was well entreated. Pharaoh just started giving him stuff because of Sarah. And, 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 and I think there's a picture here. There's always pleasure in sin for a season. Sometimes it looks like, hey, this was a good move. This, was a good, this is a good move. Things are looking up for me. Things are prospering for me. But in spite of the reward that Pharaoh was given Abram, you understand that Abram's wife was in another man's life. And that man's house was soon plagued because of it. And his anger turned towards Abram for his deceit. Now, it, it's, this, is, this is speculation, but it's widely believed because of her heritage, because of where she came from, that this incident is where Abraham received Hagar. The Bible tells us that, that Pharaoh gave him Men servants and maid servants. And so it's widely believed that this is the incident in Abram's life when Hagar was gifted to them and became a servant. Now you know what happened with Hagar later. Sarah said, I'm too old to have a child, take Hagar. Hagar had a child named Ishmael. The conflict that we have in the world today between the Jews and the Muslims is because Abraham took matters into his own hands, went down into Egypt, got a woman who later, Sarah took matters into her own hands and said, take her and raise up a child, and then resented her for that. Listen to me. When the flesh guides and fear reigns, and you begin to live your life in deception, thinking that you've done the right thing for the right reason, there will always be a failure that ensues that. You will always find yourself in a worse place than you were before you began. The famine 
was bad. But how many of you know God can provide through a famine? There's illustration after illustration and story after story in the Bible where God provided for His people when everybody else was starving. When everybody else had nothing, God was taking care of His own. When your faith falters to the degree that Abraham's did, there's no, there's no real reward for that. Even, even if it appears to be for a season, Abraham was getting these animals and these men's service and these maid service, and even though it may seem to be a reward at the time, later on you'll see that it doesn't bring you anything but regret, um, nothing but reproach. And, and I, I want you to understand that there was nothing in what Abraham did here that honored his faith in God. Nothing. So the testimony that he left behind in, age, in, in Egypt. What did God say about Abraham? I'm going to make you a blessing. And you're going to bless others. The light went into the darkness in Egypt. But it didn't shine there. The only, thing, the only thing that Abraham left behind in Egypt was fleshly, fearful, and filled with, filled with falsehood and failure. And Pharaoh knew that. Abraham blew his testimony in Egypt. I'm glad the story didn't end there. In chapter 13, it says this. Abram went up. He went down outside of the will of God. And now he goes up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. That don't mean he got all of that in Egypt. I believe he was a wealthy man when he, when he left out of Haran. He went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Remember where we saw him when he was still in the will of God? He was at Bethel. That's where he was in verse 8 and verse 9. That's where he was worshiping. That's where he was influencing he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. He didn't do that when he went down to Egypt. But he did that when he came out. Here's the last point. Even when your faith falters, even when you've walked according to your flesh, even when you've been overtaken by fear to the point that you feel like you've got to lie your way out of it. Even when you've done nothing but fail. God remains faithful. Forgiveness remains. Forgiveness remains. He went up out of Egypt and he went on even to Bethel. See, I, I, I love the fact that God, even in these heroes of our faith, God has revealed to us their failures and also let us know that their failures were not final. They were not fatal. It didn't negate His promises. It did not negate the faithfulness of God. God always forgives those who repent. God didn't leave Abraham or forsake Abraham. God's promises were still true. You understand that? He's, the promise that he made Abraham was still good. But Abraham, God didn't leave him or forsake 
God did not leave or forsake Abraham, but Abraham had left and forsook God, and he had to go back where he left him. He had to go back to the place that he walked outside of the will of God. He had to go back to Canaan. He had to go back to Bethel. The Bible heroes did not have a flawless faith, but they did have a faith that didn't quit and a God who didn't quit. You hear me? Faith perseveres. They had a faith that didn't quit and a God who didn't quit. They had a growing faith, a faith that was tested by trials and a faith that learned even from their failures. And I believe we can follow their lead. So if your faith is faltering, if you've been walking in your flesh, if you've developed fears that ought not to be there, that have robbed you of peace and joy, of love, and of a sound mind, if you've resorted to trying to cover up your sin by deceit, ain't nothing but failure going to come out of that. But God's still faithful. His forgiveness is still available. You come, you, listen, we can go down to Egypt, and, and, and the moment that you know you're walking outside the will of God and you get ready to go back to Bethel, you can come up out of Bethel and go back to where you left him, where you forsook him. Now, this ain't a Mother's Day message, but let me give you a father's, let me give you a Mother's Day application, especially to the mothers, or especially to the husbands and, and, and the fathers that are here. This is just kind of an add, an added to, to this text this morning. And it goes hand in hand with what we talked about last week. Abraham influenced people. In a good way. But in this sense, he also influenced people in a bad way. And I, I want to say, especially to you men, you, you fathers and you husbands, that our life is not an island. When we, when we make poor decisions, when we walk in our flesh, when, we, when we, don't, we don't ask God, we don't hear from God, we don't believe God, we don't obey God, it doesn't just have an impact in our lives. It has an impact in the life of our family. You know what? I don't know how far to take this because I understand that everybody has a choice. We, we, we don't have to follow bad examples. But I think it's telling that Isaac used the same te techniques that his dad had used on at least two other occasions. I think it's telling that Jacob grew up to become very deceptive and that Jacob's sons followed their dad and lied to him for the big part of his life that their brother had been killed by a wild animal. So listen to me, men. Your life has an impact on your wife, on your children, even on other people that are around you. You know what Pharaoh saw in Abraham? A man that had been not a good husband to his wife and not a good follower of the God that he professed to believe in. Our faith matters, and how we flesh that faith out in our life every day matters. And, and, if, and if we don't do it right, it can have a long-lasting negative impact on those that are around us. Um, so I would say this to you. Be careful. Don't let your flesh guide you. Your flesh ain't never going to lead you into the... I, I, I would testify, as long as I've been a Christian, 1993, 
My flesh ain't never led me in the will of God. It's always led me away from Him. It's led me to do things that cause me, to, that cause me regret and remorse and reproach. Anytime I've ever walked in my flesh, I walked myself right outside the will of God for my life and created more problems than I already had. Don't let your flesh guide you. It will not lead, lead you into the will of God or the promises that He's made. And I think when fear of anything but God creeps into our life, it's a good time for us to check ourselves. Boy, I don't want my wife to find out about this. That's a good time to check yourself. I don't want my kid to see this side. That's a good time to check yourself. Anytime the fear of anything but God creeps into our life, that's a good time for us to take a step back and say, Now, what am I afraid of? What I'm afraid of is the decision that I'm making right now because that decision is likely not inside the will of God. And I'm, when I'm getting outside the will of God, I know that I'm about to get in trouble. So when fear creeps into our heart, creeps into our life, it's, it's time to check the direction that we're heading. You know what? Abraham could have got there to the, to, the, to the gates of Egypt and said, this could cost me my wife and my life. Let's turn around and go back. That would be a good time to check ourselves. If you start having to deal in falsehood, it's a recipe for disaster. Listen to me. When you have to start lying to the people around you, about what your intention or your motive or your purpose. When you have to start dealing in falsehood, you're headed for disaster. Truth sets us free. When we begin to lie and deceive, we've fallen right into the will of the enemy. Who was uh, The Bible says, Jesus said to those scribes and Pharisees, the devil was a liar from the beginning and the father of all lies and you're following him, not me. The Bible says Jesus is the truth. We can't be walking in the will of God and dealing in falsehoods. So, so, so let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me encourage you. If it's a lie, don't say it. If it's a lie, don't believe it. If it's a lie, don't do it. If it's a lie, don't drag anybody else into it with you. Because when you start dealing in falsehood, you're headed for disaster. And that failure could cost you more than you want to pay. And could teach your family some things that you don't want to teach them. Your bad example could be something that follows you for the rest of your life. So, let me close with this. I like that last point better than I like all them other ones. Because it don't matter who it don't matter who you are, it don't matter where you are, his forgiveness remains. It don't matter how often you have failed. You hear me? <laughs> it don't matter how far down into Egypt you went and how long you stayed there. God's promises are still present, active. If you confess your sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He didn't leave you or forsake you. You left and forsook him. But you can come back. You can come back. His forgiveness remains. So maybe your faith has faltered. Or maybe you've never even really had faith before. You can come up out of Egypt. You can come up anytime. 
and find the forgiveness of God remains. Just turn to Him and call upon Him. Here's the takeaway for me in this lesson. There are no flawless people in His kingdom. There are nobody who does this thing, this walk of faith. I, you know, I stressed that last week. Walk by faith, not by sight. There ain't nobody does that perfectly. Ain't nobody that doesn't have a failure occasionally. There ain't nobody that hadn't ventured outside the will of God and walked according to their flesh. Ain't nobody hadn't failed. We've all failed, but God is faithful. But God is faithful, and He can restore. And what happens when He restores us, and what happens when we learn from those bad examples, that we, that those, those paths outside of His will that we took, we learn from them, we grow. That's what the perfecting of our faith is all about. We persevere in faith, we come back to God, He forgives, and we learn, and we grow. And I believe that was the path that by the time you get to later in Abraham's life, he's willing to lay his son on an altar and take his life because he believes that God promised Isaac was the son that, that, that he would bless him with that would produ produce a nation. That's faith. He didn't get there overnight. But as our musicians come and lead us in the invitational hymn, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for Abraham's life. Thank you for his example. The good and the bad, we can learn from both of them. Lord, I can, I can confess this morning to these people. I've, I can look back over my life and see very clearly now when my faith was faltering and when I took matters into my own hands, made a mess out of things. But I'm grateful, Lord, that every time I have, you've still been faithful to me, still been forgiving. We can all give testimony to the number of times we walked outside of your will and found you waiting right where we left you to forgive us and restore us. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning this backslid. Maybe there's somebody here who's went down to Egypt walking outside of your will and they know that they are. They may be already afraid of others finding out. They may already be dealing in deception. But this is an opportunity this morning for restoration. And I pray you'd work in her heart and in her life and restore them. Bring them back to Bethel. Bring them back to that place where they're in communion and fellowship with you. I pray, God, that you would be with um, the one here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Today is a good day to be saved. In fact, your word teaches us that today is the day of salvation. There may not be another opportunity. So I pray, God, that even now as we begin to sing, um, that your Holy Spirit would convict of sin, convince of righteousness, bring them to the feet of Jesus this morning, and save them, I pray. And these things we pray and praise you for in his name. Amen. As we sing, do you need to come this morning? There is